Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast where it's not just cinematic anymore. I'm Void and I'm here with my co-host Beige. I've got nothing. My brain is gone. Yep, let's just go. All right, Mm-mm. fair enough. Today we are talking about uh, the MCU, but not just the cinematic portion. We're talking about the TV shows. And I guess they're not really TV, but streaming. But you guys know what I mean. The, the MCU shows that aren't movies. We wanted to touch on that because um, BJ was out when kind of these shows were launching. So we didn't really get a chance to cover them then. But we're at a nice break point right now where WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier are both complete. But Loki hasn't come out yet. So it's kind of a good check-in point, don't you think? Yeah, and it was it's really interesting looking at it as a kind of a a retrospective at this point, kind of a postmortem because they came out in opposite order than they were originally intended. That uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was supposed to air first and then WandaVision was going to be the one after it. Uh, but with COVID-19 pushing everything back, uh, Black Widow was supposed to have been out, then Falcon and then WandaVision. So everything uh, just kind of got out of whack. And so what we got wasn't the original intent for the TV shows, but I think it worked out for the better this way. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because Falcon and Winter Soldier, I almost want to start there because it feels like the safer show and I didn't like it as much as I liked WandaVision. Um, And like you said, that was originally supposed to come out first. So Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's done now. And like from my perspective, I thought it was decent. I thought it was it was okay. Um, It was not as impressive as WandaVision. And it was definitely you can tell because of the ambition level and like the type of show that it was that it was supposed to be released first because WandaVision is so much more experimental. Yeah, and it was going to be the safe show. I think, like you said, it was the one that got people, was going to, I guess, was going to get people into the MCU on Disney+. Plus. They were showing that, yes, we can do a movie-quality story with movie-quality effects, with uh, movie-quality acting with our movie actors uh, on your TV. Uh, when that didn't happen and we got WandaVision first, I think that those initial weeks of people being really put off by WandaVision uh, worked for the... worked you know, for the better, because getting them used to it through something so experimental, I think, made us going into Falcon and Winter Soldier and realizing that the safe, the safe part of it isn't necessarily always going to be the best part. Like yeah. what we're used to, uh, it makes us see how safe it is compared to what we uh, what we get otherwise. It just it wasn't as interesting because it was I, I don't know, it was predictable. It was exactly what I expected it to be. And it didn't like push me to experience new things or you know um i I don't know like you said safe i think that's the best word for it it was super safe and i think they did a really good job though with it like i really 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 enjoyed falcon and the winter soldier so much more than i thought that i was going to i wasn't terribly i wasn't looking forward to it like i was wandavision Uh, i was sold on wandavision from the moment that i saw the logo i was like i know what kind of show this is going to be this is going to be weird and out there i was like i am 100 in on this and and then Falcon and the Winter Soldier just seemed like more of the same. And with neither of those characters that I really cared about. But going through it, I am really impressed by the way that they handled male friendship and emotions like and family stuff. Like they really, really dug into those characters and did a lot of stuff with uh, with like modern masculinity and how uh, how dudes interact with one another that by the end of that show uh, had really done some different things than a lot of traditional media does. And I didn't feel like they did enough. Like, I wish that they had taken it farther if that's what they were trying to do with that show, because I could see what they were going for and it didn't really land all the way for me. It didn't feel like it went far enough. It just kind of like touched on the surface of a lot of things like that. And I I guess why, one of the reasons I want to talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision together is because by the time that we were like halfway through each show um falcon and winter soldier like i was having fun watching with my kids because it's an activity that we could do together with the three of us like we watch we like watching mcu and like star wars shows um and it's something that we like to do on friday nights you know as like the week is wrapping up so that part i really liked because it gave me another excuse to hang out with my kids and do something um but in terms of my excitement level for the actual show itself it would be like we'd get to that part of friday night and they'd be like oh yeah let's watch falcon and winter soldier and i'd be like oh right yeah there is another one let's watch it whereas when wandavision was 
coming out friday it was like i would wake up and be like i can't wait until i have free time to watch wandavision like that is what i want to be doing right now even though it's like 5 a.m and i can't get to it until like 6 p.m like wandavision is on my mind and i was so excited by and this is by the time i got like halfway through each show when i actually knew what the shows were offering and i just like i was so much more invested in wandavision than i ever got in falcon and winter soldier even though i thought falcon and winter soldier was fine it just wasn't as good as wandavision was yeah and i totally understand that because i was close to the same way where i wasn't uh i I kept forgetting that it existed like not existed i shouldn't say that like i kept forgetting that uh that a new one was coming out and that we we needed to watch it and jennifer would remind me like oh yeah we have more falcon let's do this and uh like i would i would love it and we would rewatch it to uh to see the stuff that we caught and i loved the way that they put everything together and kind of even brought in the x-men stuff with madripoor that there were a lot of of things in this one as well that uh, continued to show that they're probably integrating the x-men into the mcu and some of these next movies and I just never felt that compulsion like WandaVision that I absolutely must watch this. It wasn't, oh yeah, it's there. Let's let's watch this. I love this. Uh, but it wasn't a, oh my God, if I don't watch this right now and I see a spoiler online that I'm going to start screaming and my neighbors are going to think something is wrong. It's, right. uh, it was never like that, like it was with WandaVision. Well, and for, for WandaVision, for me, I finished it and I immediately started a rewatch. And whenever that happens to me, I know that the media has like whatever piece of media that was really got its hooks into me. And it's something that is special because I just don't do that. I don't rewatch shows very often. I don't replay games very often. And I know we've talked about this over the years of the podcast. So that's like a sign I watch for in myself that if I want to rewatch something after I finish it, it's like, oh, wow. And so thinking about Falcon and Winter Soldier, I don't know if I ever need to rewatch it again. Like maybe if it's on, if someone else in my family's watching it and I walk into the room and I'm like, oh, I'll sit and watch this episode with you. But if I were to go back and like re-experience Falcon and Winter Soldier, I would probably pick out like a couple of the action scenes to watch and then like the second half of the last episode. And that's enough for me. Whereas WandaVision, I've literally rewatched the entire series start to finish three times. And I'm working on my fourth rewatch right now with my kids. And it's like, oh, wow, it's so good. Like, it's so good. I like that show so much. And it's doing I guess we haven't directly said, but like it it twists and it turns and there's kind of a mystery box there. But you find out what it is. It doesn't get drawn out. And the conclusion is satisfying. Um, The answers to all the questions in the mystery box are satisfying. And along the way, it ties into TV tropes from all of these different eras. And it goes back and it like uses the production techniques and stylizes, stylizes the show as if it was a sitcom in all of those eras. And it's like, it's just such a unique spin on a TV show. Um, I loved it. And it's weird because I did not like the show at first. Like, the first two episodes, if we finished, and I was like, ooh, I don't know if this is for me. And then by the end of the third episode of WandaVision, I was hooked. And by the end of the fourth episode of WandaVision, I was like, every week from that point forward, I need to watch this show. What's the new thing? I have to make time for it. And I was really disappointed in the initial reaction to WandaVision. Like, I loved that show, like, from the very beginning. But like I've said before when we've talked about it, I'm a TV guy. I've studied so, like, like narrative and, and TV and stuff like that put together. Uh, not not like you as a TV guy who's who's in the production of it. Um, for me, it was like, I'm into these kinds of shows. I'm into this kind of wacky storytelling. And I love the, the like, Dick Van Dyke stuff that they're doing with it. And just immediately... Uh, Uh, was invested in it and i see so many people be like oh this isn't marvel this isn't stuff and i'm like they're gonna do something awesome just wait you know they have a plan and they're like but this is so boring and i'm like watch the show they oh my gosh why don't you trust marvel at this point and so i was really frustrated with like internet response of it at first uh the part of that is like i agree with that because i I felt that way after the first two episodes. I was like, oh, what are they doing? Like, I don't know if I like this. And the problem is, and it's not a problem if you take the show as a whole, but when you have to stop after the second episode, which is what they did, they released episode one and two on the first night, um, and then you didn't get the third episode until a week later. And those first two episodes play it so straight that like 
you don't actually get a feel for what the show is or what it's doing or why it's even interesting. And by the time you hit the end of the third episode, you get it. Like, this is what the show is doing. You don't have all the answers, but you have enough of the pieces of the puzzle that you go, oh, okay, I kind of get what they're doing, and this is really fascinating. And so the producer or director, I think he was the director of the show, when he was coming up with the release plan with Disney, he really wanted to put out the first three episodes on the first night. And they said, no, we're going to put out the first episode on the first night. And he was like, ooh, that might not go over well. So they found a middle ground and released two episodes. But the director's original intent was to do the first three. And I can completely see why. Yeah, I mean, I understand exactly why that's the case. I The second episode is one of my favorite ones in the show, uh, just the way that they do everything. And it's one of the funniest things, like going back and rewatching it, it, I just cackle at it every time. Like, I just love how they've done everything. And the behind the scenes stuff that they did, uh, they did the kind of featurette after the, the series was complete. It was amazing watching all of the ways that they did these. And one of the reasons that it was so fantastic and and looked so real is that they use the same technology and techniques that they did when making these shows in the the 60s and so it was uh really really cool to see that that uh that you would see like they made they use the exact same lights they did it before an audience they use the same kind of practical effects and and techniques that they did uh when these shows were originally going on like it it was so cool to learn about Yeah, no, I love that behind the scenes stuff. And the thing I should say is that I actually really like episode one and two after I had completed the series. So like I said, I've rewatched it two other times and I'm working on my fourth through like so that was three watches, right? One, the initial plus two watches. And now I'm working on my fourth watch through. And after that very first time through the whole show, um, as soon as I went back and I rewatched it from the beginning, I really liked episodes one and two because I understood what the show was doing. And I was so impressed by those first two episodes in hindsight. But the very first time I started it and when that's your first impression of the show, I completely see why people would bounce off after episode one or episode two. It just doesn't do a good enough job explaining like what the show is trying to do. See, and that's where I don't understand because it not explaining it makes me want to keep watching it. And I think that it does a great job of building the mystery and not knowing what's going on. And I like that feeling. And for a lot of people, not explaining enough or not knowing what's going on just makes them go, this is dumb. I don't get it. I'm done. And they never come back. Like if it wasn't the MCU, that probably would have been me. But I trust them enough to be like, I'm going to come back every week. And like I said, you know, I was hooked by the end of episode three and I was like in love with the show by the end of episode four. And then that all the way through the end, I was just so I I couldn't wait for Friday to come around again to experience it. So WandaVision is probably going to be on my, you know, top things of the year list because I just loved it so much. It might be my favorite MCU thing at this point. Yeah, I think it's my favorite MCU thing at this point. Like any of it really, uh, it would take a lot to it from the very top of just being the the most being the most experimental the most enjoyable uh some of the best produced and best acted and best written it's just all of it together is is just phenomenal and i'm incredibly sad that we cannot get a second season of it that uh that because of the way things played out with it uh and one thing i do hope that y'all have realized at this point is we're not talking real spoilery things so if you haven't seen these uh we're not going into a lot of detail in terms of what's going on with the narrative but there's no way because of the way that wandavision ended and the way the show was structured with the entire conceit that that show can have a second season that there could be future shows with the the characters in it and movies and things like that but that show kind of exists on its own which also makes it special like that that means that for me yeah that it being a one-off is 
this is what this is. This is how we're telling this one story and we're doing it right. Kind of like the Watchmen season uh, on HBO where they made that one season, told the story, and then Damon Lindelof said the only way we're making a season two is if we have a story to tell for season two. Otherwise, this is the story we set out to tell. And that's the way that WandaVision is. It tells the story it set out to tell. Yeah, and I like that better. Like, that is also something that's true for me in comics, even though I haven't run read a ton of comics over time, and I was never like a comic book kid. But coming to comics as an adult, I've found that the series that really like stick with me and that have landed for me are ones that are a limited run series that have a beginning, middle, and end, and then it's done. And so it's kind of interesting that the show um, worked for me in that same way. Like you said, there's not going to be a WandaVision season two, and that's okay. Like, I like that it's a self-contained thing, and it exists, and it's complete, and it will always be that. Um, that being said, I would love for the show creators, the show producers, the writers to come back and do something else. Like, if they want to create something else, I'll be there for it. But it doesn't have to be this thing again, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's that's a very good way of putting it. Like, I'm there, whatever they do, and I'm sad that it can't be this, but I'm also glad that this exists. And so it's going to sit there at the top of my list. Yeah, and then I also wanted to talk about the next two MCU shows, which we don't have as much detail on, um, but we have trailers and we kind of know what they're doing. So I know that they've announced MCU shows going out for the next, you know, couple years. So we know other things in production, but all of that is speculation except for Loki and Marvel What If. So those are the two Mm -hmm. that we actually have trailers for. So you kind of have an idea of what they're going for. And the thing that jumped out to me about these when you stack them up against WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier is... They both look interesting. I'm excited for both of them. But the thing I'm noticing as a through line is that it seems like the further the shows are able to get away from the main like canon timeline and reality, the more creative they can be. And again, I don't want to dive into what WandaVision is if you haven't seen it because it's really interesting, but it gets away from enough of the canon timeline and canon reality that it can do its own thing. And Loki is the same way. Loki is going to be about, and they've told this, like it's in the trailers, it's alternate reality Loki jumping through time and jumping through different realities. And in a way, it's like, okay, it's not going to have an impact directly on the movies necessarily or on the timelines that we know but because of that it means the show can go all out and it doesn't have to worry about the consequences of what it's going to do to the movies so the show can be so much more ambitious it's one of those things where with loki i didn't know what to expect i didn't know what i wanted it to be like i'm not a huge loki fan it wasn't something that i had any kind of concept of what i had hoped for uh for a show to be but when i saw the trailer i was like yep i'm all in on that like that's that's exactly the kind of show that Loki should be. And so for them to be able to put it together, I'm really interested to see what they do because WandaVision proved that they're great at strange experimental television storytelling. Yeah, and I would love for them to do something that's like a self-contained season again that's super ambitious and does a bunch of crazy things and then maybe has one little thing that ties back into the main movies. You know, um kind of like what WandaVision did. Like you can see that it progressed the characters and it made an impact on the characters, but there's nothing from the show that you have to know to go into the next round of MCU movies. And I think that's actually my ideal outcome for Loki is that it's a whole show on its own. It tells a whole story that's really interesting and ambitious, but it's nothing that's going to radically alter the universe, right? Like in the end, like that's, that's what I'm hoping that we get, but I do want it to go a little bit nuts in the middle that we know about yet because the MCU movies that are coming out this year are also going to be dealing with the multiverse and things like that, which uh, is going to be, I'm kind of expecting to see this Loki at some point show up in the new Dr. Strange movie because it's going to be, I mean, it's Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. So, I mean, it's going to be doing some wacky things too. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested to see what that one does, because we know that Wanda is going to show up in that because they've announced it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they've said so, yeah, it. We'll see if Loki does, too. But I mean, Marvel What If is an interesting one, too, because we don't know everything that they're doing, but the entire show is around the premise of what if this other thing happened, right? Instead of the MCU that we know. So a couple examples from the trailer are like, 
what if instead of it being Steve Rogers, it was Peggy Carter that went in and got the super soldier serum. So you see her as like Captain, I guess I don't even know what it would be. Captain I think Britain it was or Captain, Captain Britain. UK. Yeah. Captain UK. I don't remember what they, I don't know if they've said what they call her because Captain Britain's its own separate thing. But yeah. And because of that, it has like, um, to- like Howard Stark in like a prototype Iron Man armor from the 1940s um, helping her and working with her. And it's like, okay, so that's a what if scenario. And then another one from the trailer is, um, like what if there was marvel some kind of like zombie invasion like you can see a zombie version of captain america and like bucky fighting against him um so it's it's stuff like that or like what if instead of star lord being peter quill it was someone from the other side of the planet so it's just taking a core premise and twisting it and then giving you i'm assuming like one episode about that premise before dropping it and moving to the next premise that's the way that the comics worked, that it was one of my favorite comic series growing up because it was generally uh, there may have been a couple of or a few different multi-part stories. But for the most part, it was one shot stories that were being told just like this. Uh, what if Professor what if Magneto had formed the X-Men instead of Professor Xavier? Uh, what if Professor X died before forming the X-Men? Uh, things like that. Things like uh, what if Peter Parker had never been bitten by spider-man what if uncle ben had been bitten by the radioactive spider what if aunt may had been bitten by the radioactive spider things like that that where they could tell these completely outlandish stories and just really extrapolate these absurd realities that would have been able to come from it whether it actually would have or not uh like when they were actually if they were actually telling that story but it was so much fun like it was one of my favorite favorite things uh for the when i was a kid like anytime i saw a good what if uh i was i was always gonna buy it like it was i was so when i saw that they were doing a what if tv show i was super duper excited and part of the conceit of the original comics was the idea of the watcher um who was always uh well, I guess watching uh, and kind of storytelling and narrating and framing the entire thing. And uh, I think it was Doctor Strange where they actually showed up. They had the uh, the watchers or maybe it was uh, Guardians Volume 2 where they had the uh, the guys in cloaks sitting in outer space with the giant bald heads. Yeah, that's um, one of the Guardians movies. Okay, so that's Guardians uh, 2 then uh, where they did that. That is... Uh, the guy who was one of the, them is who was narrating what if. So we're likely going to see more of them and learn more, which ties into the greater MCU uh, because it's already been established there as a cameo, which I expect there to be a few things again that probably come back with Multiverse of Madness to tie into the rest of the upcoming MCU. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So I think overall, I'm curious where you're landing with the MCU shows. What do you think based on where we're at right now? Two full shows, and then we kind of know what the next two shows are going to be aiming for. In a way, I kind of wish they would do TV shows instead of movies from this point. Um, I think they've done such a spectacular job of telling these longer form stories and really being able to dive in on parts that you wouldn't be able to in a in a movie like Sam's family uh, in Falcon and Winter Soldier and, uh, you know, Bucky going through therapy uh, as much as they have. Uh, they wouldn't be able to do that kind of thing nearly as much in a movie. So I really love of being able to take that time in a TV show to do it. Um, I can't wait to see what all the TV shows they do. Um, I'm really, really excited to see what the different, the I don't even know what the, the different genres of them, what they do with them. Uh, I look forward to seeing how they change each show and uh, also to see how they start interacting with the movies because the original MCU uh, TV shows on Netflix mentioned the movies and then never interacted with them, that they would reference things that happened in the movies. They would reference the things that happened in New York and uh, stuff like that, because it was still very early on. Uh, They would talk about the Chitauri invasion and how it affected New Yorkers uh, because they all took place in New York. But uh, they would refer to things like the big green guy and stuff like that. But they moved very far away very quickly uh, with things like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so it's going to be interesting to see if they actually have a TV hook that works this time. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm super positive on them too. Like this is what I want from the MCU shows. I want this premium level of TV, you know, um, yeah. the premium streaming. I don't want network TV like they started out doing, like you were saying, because it just doesn't tie in as much to the movies. I would rather actually use the real characters and use the real plot lines from the movies and only have these like premium premiere six to ten episodes in a season um that's what i want right and you know i i was a little bit like more lukewarm on falcon and winter soldier but that being said it was still really good like it's better than most tv shows out there um wandavision was amazing i'm super super excited about loki and very intrigued by what if so i think they can do really good with tv shows in the future i just i want them to continue to be relevant to the movies and tie in directly and i also want them to be ambitious i want them to be ambitious like they were with wandavision and like it looks like they're going to be with loki i don't want them to be safe the way that they were with falcon and winter soldier like they need to not make safe shows they need to make interesting shows and i think that depends and i think they will i I shouldn't say it depends i think they will now that we probably i haven't seen any kind of uh ratings information like any data they've released but i'm assuming wandavision based on the hype and everything that people uh had around it that it was more popular and uh, got more watches overall than uh than falcon and the winter soldier i expect that kind of thing uh would would make them at least what i would what i see on the internet myself and how much they picked up i expect that kind of tv show would continue because of the the reaction it got yeah i hope so um so i thought it'd be a good point to just pause and talk about shows while we have two of them down and two of them queued up here in the near future um that being said we are part of a network, if you guys don't know. We have podcasts, we have streamers, we have the Geekery blog, all that and more at geek2geekmedia.com or go to geek2geekmedia.com slash subscribe to get it sent right to you. We also have a digital magazine. What's the latest with the magazine? Uh, the newest the newest issue of that came out uh, just a couple of days ago. Uh, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash geek to geek cast to see it um it is all about tabletop gaming this month uh next month is a tabletop gaming month so we wanted to do it early to have a full episode out there uh this one has all sorts of really cool uh, retrospectives on board games and card games and uh and rpgs uh troidal power did an entire uh tabletop rpg system uh called double roll six that uh, he put together as a quick indie thing for people to play with uh, um, he had done it before, and uh, we tweaked it a bit, and uh, it's really, really, really cool. It's spy-themed. Um, I gave a discount code because uh, it's the only way licensing can work. Um, I have a post where you can uh, see and get the new D&D supplement that I did called uh, Horrific Encounters in Ravenloft uh, for free uh, by just going to the uh, Patreon page. Uh, it's public, so everybody listening can get that, um, but... But yeah, stuff like that this month. It's actually one of our uh, bigger, better months, I think, in terms of stuff that we can offer. And uh, it's only going to keep growing. So patreon.com slash geek to geek cast and get our entire backlog for five dollars. And that brings us to Weekly Geekery, where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What do you got this week? Well, this week I actually played a couple of video games. Uh, Not like my influence is coming back in here. You're doing video games again. Kinda, but not so much uh, like like that's what I'm I'm doing. If that makes sense, like yeah, uh, Steam World Quest actually got me uh, because it's that uh, it's some sort of anniversary for Steam World, and somebody had tweeted about it, and I saw it, and uh, actually I saw somebody talk about how in during the thread they were talking about how Steam World Quest needs a sequel because it was so good and it's one of their favorite RPGs. And uh, I was like, you know, I just stopped playing that. It wasn't that I disliked it or didn't want to keep playing it. It was that I got excited by something else that came out and just never went back to it. And so I re-downloaded it and actually have been replaying it on uh, on the Switch, uh, Switch Lite. And it's a really 
excellent game and i loved it then we had a whole episode on it uh last year where uh we talked about it and it's still just as good as it was whenever i picked it up new it was just like i said i got excited about something else and now that i've gone back it's one where i can pick up do a couple of battles uh edit and work on the card it's card-based battling which i usually don't like but in this one i do and uh just mess with the decks and things like that and then put it down and do something else where it's working out really really well by not being a huge epic narrative driven rpg it has enough of a silly story about robot medieval robots uh and the necronomicog uh so uh i uh i'm i'm enjoying that uh was actually playing it just a little bit before we started recording this Awesome. No, that's great that you were able to pick it back up. I think I did the same thing. I played it for a while and put it down because something else came up and I just never went back to it. But it was definitely a solid game. Yeah, it's super cool. And I look forward to because always in in my experience with the SteamWorld games, they always make the make updates to them whether they are actual updates that get things get patched in and made better or sequels like SteamWorld Dig 2. They're always better. And SteamWorld Dig 2 is one of the best, like, platform Metroidvania type games I've ever played. Like, it is so good. So, if they make a SteamWorld Quest 2, it has to be excellent. Like, I look so forward to that. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, also, this week, this is it's funny because uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance came out. Uh, a remake of the PS2 game uh, came out on all. It was kind of just announced at the last minute. It was like, hey, tomorrow this is coming out. And I'm like, what? Yeah, and you're not talking about the new one that's out in like a couple weeks. No, no, this is the old one. This one is the uh, is the the old original one on the PlayStation 2 and Xbox. And I got it and I've been playing it uh, because not and it's a and d game, but it's one that I didn't get because it was a and d game. And I'm like super into that. I got this because of the, all of the memories I had of it. Uh, from college like this was one of Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 were some of my Dark Alliance rather were some of my favorite couch co-op moments in college like of gaming memories these are the ones that I actually think about uh, whenever I'm just like thinking about like oh what video games did I play in college like Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance and so I'm really excited to play it again Uh, it actually proves to me by far that this is a couch co-op game because it is much harder to survive without a partner in it and uh i haven't gotten jennifer to play it with me yet or anything uh, or riley to come in and play but uh it's still it is definitely a playstation 2 game it is uh prettied up but it is still totally a playstation 2 game and it is a fun smashy smashy kind of game um it is just enough of an action rpg and not a <sighs> A clicking action RPG, I guess. It's just enough of a, a it feels more actiony action RPG than it does Diablo and Torchlight. Uh, you're not clicking as quickly and as randomly sometimes as you are on the very tiny things on the screen uh, as you are, but it's that same kind of game just at a slower pace with uh, enemies that don't die quite so quickly. Yeah, no, that's it's, cool. I'm uh, glad you were able to go back to it and like enjoy it again. Yeah, I enjoy it. Like that's really it's not a great game because it's a PlayStation 2 game where the sequel is probably better and they're coming out with a new version of it in a few weeks. Uh but for what it is, super stoked it's there. Like uh, I don't know if it's nostalgia or if I just enjoy this kind of really simple action RPG, but it is a lot of fun to play. Cool. That's great. And then I've been playing Magic the Gathering Arena um, just about every day since uh, since I finally got through all the color challenges. I don't remember. Did you and I talk about this on the podcast last time or was it just you and me texting about it? We talked uh, about how you were stuck in the color challenges and frustrated, but you were excited to get back to it after you got beyond those. So I decided just to power through those while I was watching TV one night. Okay, just good. sat down and, and actually just mindlessly grinded the uh, the color challenges out. Uh, I think it actually took about 15 games, I think, which was so friggin' obnoxious. Um, but I got them done, uh, and I found that I don't have, because I haven't played it in a very long time, I don't have 
any cards for what's in standard right now outside of what they give you. Sure. And so I just have basically starter decks for uh, for standard competition. And so I don't want to do that. Like I like I got my butt kicked when I tried that. Uh, so I went to historic, which I looked up and I've had because I'd forgotten uh, because I couldn't remember quite what historic was. And I'd forgotten it was an arena only mode. Um, it's basically standard extended where people like me can still use the cards that they buy and uh i am having so much fun uh i had built a uh white blue black uh control deck uh that i've been tweaking with new cards and things like that uh, that i'm getting in it and uh it is the best time i have had playing magic since i was a teenager because it just makes people concede it uh it is it's so annoying and uh, i love it so terribly much just to sit there and counterspell everything they have destroy all of their creatures and then have my little one little vampire uh my legendary uh vampire well uh and have my one vampire planeswalker do one damage to them and gain one life every turn just like bing Ping. Yeah, I know counter, you're one of those counter, players. Counter. Ping. Ping. It's so much fun and I love it. And so many people concede while they're still at 20 health. And it makes me laugh so hard. I love it. You're I have so, so mean. much fun doing it. I hate those I am, decks. Like, like, they're the ones that I actually enjoy playing the most, too, though. Like, like blue has always been my color. Blue-white has generally been what I've played. And so as I'm playing through this, like, that's, again, what I'm falling into is blue-white. And with the Strixhaven cards, I'm actually liking the blue-red stuff that they're doing. Um, so I look forward to the next set come out uh, coming out so that I can see more of what the blue-red uh, is bringing up. Because blue-red and blue-green are both really, really cool in Strixhaven I've seen so far. At least yeah. for my play style, the stuff that I like. So it's interesting because I've been playing a lot of Arena 2, and this kind of leads nicely to my geekery because that was one of the things I wanted to circle back on. Um, Strixhaven, I I liked Sealed a lot. Like, I just, I think Sealed is one of my favorite formats in Magic because you don't, there's a whole meta skill when it comes to drafting that mm -hmm. Sealed eliminates that meta skill and it becomes more about, hey, can you work with what you're given? And can you work with what you're given is interesting to no. me. No. I cannot. And the I, answer to that question is no, because I am so bad at the two seals that I've done so far. I love doing it and I love drafting, but I lose every time. Well, I think well, I've won one game out of the six that I played. That's why, like, I want to make Seven, a distinction here between drafting and sealed, because, like, I really like sealed, but I don't know if I like drafting. Like, drafting is really frustrating for me because I feel like I'm not good at it, but I also feel like this set in particular is harder than normal because this whole set is like a spells matter theme to Strixhaven. Oh, it is. And that means that you can't quite lean into creatures the way you can with other drafts where I felt like I was starting to finally get my head around it when I was doing some drafts in Kaldheim. Um, and that being said, it's like drafts I find frustrating because I don't know that meta level of like how good is a card what should I be picking what color should I be picking and like how to read the other people around the table so I can pick up signals for like what colors are available like there's this whole meta layer that they never teach you and they're like oh yeah well you have to pick that up to be good but it, like every time I read about how to do it it's like well spend a lot of money and do a lot of drafts and eventually you'll get there and that's just not a good answer for me um whereas sealed I like sealed because you're given a pool yeah. of cards and it's like here you work with it like can you make it work and the answer is a lot of the time I can do okay at that um so that's fun but that being said I'm still doing all my daily quests and I'm doing all my weekly wins and I'm getting all the experience that I can in a week um to unlock more of the mastery pass because I bought the mastery pass and I'm really having fun like unlocking it and making a little bit of progress every day okay that was what i was going to ask you about so so rather than look it up because i don't know why i just haven't looked it up uh but i was going to ask you do you know how long each mastery pass lasts because i've thought about buying it but i don't know how long i have to unlock everything in it like, I so, don't want to spend money and waste it if I'm not going to be able to get very far into it before it swaps into the next one. Yeah, a mastery pass is typically somewhere between two and a half and three months, something like that. So it's not super short. You know, it's probably somewhere in the 
six to ten week range depending on like how long between sets because they usually launch one with a new set you know okay and Um, and that's what i figured it was like i figured with the uh forgotten realms being the next set that's coming out i figured that that was when the next mastery pass was going to drop as well so there's enough time between now and mid-may and like i think july Yep, I said it, July. Thank you. Uh, uh, for it coming out, that, that I should be able to pay for it and actually get the get the stuff out of it because the stuff looks really cool and I like opening packs. Like I'm, I'm kind of simple. It's like I don't even care if I'm going to use these cards in standard. It's like I like opening this pack. Well, and uh, they did a couple cool things with this mastery pass that they haven't done before. Like they actually okay. put um, avatars as part of it, so mm-hmm. you you unlock. Um, the mastery orbs like you did before but in those mastery orb trees when you place them um you end up doing you can unlock new avatars like that you can have for your character so that's really cool they're only like two points into the mastery tier for each color so you can unlock five new avatars for yourself um i think that was smart and then I, I don't know. I'm just having fun, like making that little bit of progress and getting that little bit of like dopamine hit every day. Um, but yeah. what I'm trying to do is just like I'm I've been listening to a lot of magic podcasts. I've been reading a lot about magic and the design approach and where they're at. And I am trying to come to terms with just being able to have fun with magic and not feel like I have to lock myself into one format or another or that I have to be really good at one format or another. Right. So if I'm not good at drafting and if I'm not having fun with drafting, I'm trying to be okay with that and just be like, oh, okay, whenever the next sealed comes around for the next set, I have a month where I can play that or I have three weeks where I can play that when a set launches or um, when they have a special event that I like, I can dive in and play that special event for a day or two. So there was one of those, I think two weekends ago where they had, um, it might've just been for a night. I think it was a Friday night magic where they had a bunch of pre-con decks. So they had pre-constructed decks that were like top tier meta decks that they had just powered down a little bit to make them more even with each other. And so it was all of these meta decks that like I had played against, but I hadn't made because I didn't really understand them. And I spent probably two and a half or three hours that night just playing that event, even though you only needed two wins to unlock all the awards. Like I got the two wins within, I don't know, 20 minutes. And then I played for another two hours after that, just because I was having fun with the format, you know? Yeah, um, I've played I've played Magic now on Arena now that it's on iPad and you were totally right of PC, iPad and iPhone. Uh, and I can't say anything about the other the Android stuff, but iPad is by far the way that this game is meant to be played. Like it is great on that one. Like I like it on PC, hate it on iPhone, uh, but love it on uh, the iPad. And the reason I hate it on iPhone is because I need, apparently I need bifocals and I can't read the text on that stuff. Like I had to take my glasses off and hold it up trying to do it with one eye closed. Like it is not a game for people with uh, old person eyesight like I've got. (laughs) yeah well i i still think ipad is the way to go and then i mix and match it it with pc like anytime i draft or i do deck construction or i do a sealed i go onto my pc just because it's easier for me to see everything um and Mm. the interface is a little bit better for deck building but when i'm actually playing day to day or like night to night um i kind of mix and match like i would say half the time i'm on my phone and you know probably half the time i'm on my ipad when i'm just playing to play um but i'm i'm trying to embrace enjoying different formats and so like jumpstart is coming back in a couple weeks here and i'm super excited for that so i'll probably play a bunch of jumpstarts yep i look forward to that because i didn't get to play it at first and so i wasn't playing during the time when you were telling me all about jumpstart so i'm excited to to see it and how uh how i like it yeah um i'm excited to see what you think of it too and jumping on that i just bought a booster pack of paper magic for jumpstart because i want to try it in real life and this leads me into another geekery from the week i actually played paper magic to like this last week for the first time in a year and a half two years like it's probably a year and a half um my brother came over because my whole like immediate family is fully vaccinated now and so i got to see yeah, it's great. So I got to see my parents and my brother for the first time without restrictions in a year and a quarter or whatever it's been. Um, yeah. And so 
we just hung out like they came over we hung out for the day and then when my parents left my brother and i played a bunch of games together and so he had bought because he knew that you know we were almost to vaccination being okay um he bought a booster box of theros and then he bought a booster box of one or two others that were recent sets that looked interesting to us and we sat down and we did a a two-player winchester draft and this is where kind of tying into what I was saying before. I'm trying to find formats where I can just enjoy the format for the sake of playing and not have to feel like I'm competitive or I'm working towards something. It's just a fun game to play for the day, right? And so as much as I don't like those competitive drafts where it goes around the table and you have to like read the cues that your opponents are putting down and everyone who tells you to get better just says, oh yeah, we'll just play 10 or 15 drafts and like put all the money in. It's like, no. Um, but for this Winchester draft, it was really fun to do together. And it was a fun way to do a two-player draft. So have you I ever- don't remember what Winchester draft is. Like, I know what it is. Like, I've done them. Like, but I don't remember what it is now. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask about is... The way that the Winchester draft works is you open up the number of packs that you're going to use for it, which you can use a standard draft number per player. Um, But in hindsight, having done it once, I think we're going to add two more packs the next time we do just for a deeper card pool. But you open up all the packs and then you take out the, you know, there's always like a promo card or like an art card or a token. And then there's always a land in every pack. So you take those out. So all you're left with are all of the like active cards. You shuffle them all up into like one big pile and then you um, deal them out into four piles. So you have four piles in front of you. Each one has one card, right? So then whoever's turned is first you pick one of those piles and you pick up that one card from it okay so that's the first round of the draft then what you do is you take four more cards off the top of your big like library pile and you put one of those on each of the four decks or each of the four piles so what happens is you end up with a pile that like one pile might have seven cards on it and one pile might have two cards on it but if one of those two cards is something you really want or it's a mythic rare or it's something that works with the deck you're trying to build you might pick up the two cards and not the seven cards so you end up with this weird situation that's really fun that it's like ooh, do i want to pick up like 10 cards right now or do i want to pick up those three cards that i think are going to work well for me and it's like a balancing act but i don't know it made for very interesting results yeah, I can imagine being with two people. That would be a, a really fun way to do it. Yeah, and what we landed on was we didn't quite have a deep enough card pool. So, yeah, the next time, I think instead of three packs each, we would use four. But, you know, we were just playing around. It was just the two of us. And it was that at yeah. home, over the kitchen table type of magic. And I, I'm i trying to learn to appreciate that and not feel like I need to do <laughs> an organized event or get better or track my wins or, you know, just just play to play. Yeah, it it's very hard for me. Like even you saying that, like I was sitting here thinking, it's like it's been so long since I've just played Magic, right? Like not not even in even in arena. I'm like I'm gonna play the historic ranked. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm not just gonna play to play. And then like that's that's automatically what I go to, go for. I have not pressed just play in arena yet. It's always been in one of the ranked ones. Like just the idea of sitting and playing at the kitchen table, playing magic is something that I literally haven't done in 23 ish years. Like that's just not like me and my friends, we would always be playing to prep for a tournament. We would always be playing to prep for like States or, or something like that. We'd be play testing decks. We would never ever just play with these random cards and these uh these goofy decks it's like no let's let's uh, see how we can refine this into the meta like that's what we played for like so just you saying that like as you were talking about this like that's such a foreign concept to me like that'd be fun it's like dumb because it's like you feel like that should be the main concept is like i should just play to have fun but you would think we're we're too much into that like gaming culture where that's not where our first impulse is so i'm really trying to step back and make that my approach towards magic because i feel like then it could become a hobby that lasts for years and years where if i'm just playing to fill out the mastery pass or i'm playing to get a rank in arena like I will eventually bounce off and burn out. Um, But that's why I I immediately after my brother and I played that session together and we handed our decks back and forth. We both played both sides of it. We actually helped each other construct our decks because it was casual. There was no pressure, you know? Um, And so we finished that. When he left for the night, I immediately went online and I bought a box of Jumpstart. 
because I was like, Jumpstart <laughs> is my favorite thing that I've ever played in Arena. I want to play this in person, casually with my brother. Like, that's what I want to do. Right. So I have a box of Jumpstart coming sometime this week, and I'm so excited to play that. That's awesome. Like, I look forward to hearing about you playing that because, like, as much as you talked about it last year, the and being able to get into it and, like, that was the one that you actually went to the card shop and played in a tournament for, right? It was Jumpstart? No, that was a different one that didn't work out. Um, Jumpstart, I just played not on Arena. and Oh, okay. A- for some reason, I was thinking that you had gone to a shop. Like I said, I thought you'd gone to a shop and bought stuff and played for it. So. No, I've literally never opened an actual physical Jumpstart pack. Um, I've only played oh. on Arena because that was right when the pandemic was hitting. And so they had a lot of printing issues and they underprinted it by a lot. So my oh, pre-orders actually gotcha. got canceled for it. Oh, dang. I don't know if I knew that. If I did, yeah. I had completely forgotten it. And so one of the things that was interesting for me is because I'm paying attention to more of like the magic discourse and the social media and all that out there, um, they, when Arena announced that Jumpstart is coming back, I saw a lot of talk on like the Reddit and on social media and people are like, why though? Like, what's the point? Like the cards aren't good in the meta and it's not an efficient way to get cards and like that's a waste of gold. And it's so funny because I've been trying to pull myself back and be like, I can just play to have fun. And the one thing yeah. that never gets mentioned in these like thousands of comment deep threads is hey you know it's just kind of fun like it's fun to play like it's okay to spend your money to have fun it doesn't have to be contributing to your meta deck or to making you better or to getting you a rank like you can just have fun with it um that's a big problem i think in reddit in general like i've been spending more time on reddit uh than than before because of dungeons and dragons like and i noticed that same thing uh, going in on the D&D subs because it's always like, how can you maximize efficiency? Like if you do this and this, you get this feat with this race, you get, uh, you can make it do like, you know, X, Y, and Z. And at the same time, I'm like, yeah, that's really cool that you can do that. And, and at the same time, I'm over here like, but what if I did this feat where I can jump really far and really annoy my DM? Like it's uh, like, like things like that. Like why... Uh, I see people debating the the you know the the very intricate details of like Liaman's tiny hut, like how uh, how it, their parties break the game with it and they rest too much, blah blah blah. And uh, I'm like, man, I wish I had had that to escape those uh, those big things in a three the other night. That would have been awesome. Uh, wouldn't have abused it at all. Like it's just interesting to see how different people play these same games than us. Like people who've been playing them for so long that it is all that place like D&D, like it's almost competitive for some people. Right. And like magic, where all it is is competitive, where like you look at Jumpstart as completely non-competitive. But the thing is, and it's interesting because all of these things lined up in my head in the last week um, just because of like where I was at mentally and then getting to play physical paper magic with my brother casually and then there was this huge thing in the magic community um, that's like tied in on Reddit and social media where um, basically Wizards of the Coast pulled back from professional play. And they're like, we're going to completely revamp the professional circuit. Um, Basically, don't plan on being a professional magic player. It's not going to be a viable career going forward. And it spun off this entire conversation within that community, which I've been paying attention to recently. And it's basically like, only the the thing that came out of it the conversation and the controversy that's not interesting the interesting thing is the data that you got out of it um because that's the kind of person i am so what we found out because wizards gave more information as the community was kind of overreacting it's like only at maximum only 10 percent of magic players have ever been to any kind of organized play or organized event so all of those things that you hear people talking about yes like the entire huh. like magic, right? So if you've ever been to a Friday night magic or a pre-release or a sealed event, a draft, if you've ever been to a tournament, if you've ever been any of those places one time, right? Like you said that you haven't been in 20 years or something, you would still count towards that 10%. Man, and that's the last maximum. pre-release that I did was in on torment. That was the last state pre-release. Like continue going. I'm going to look something up while you do this, yeah. while you tell me about this. 
so if you think about that, it means 90% of players never, ever play that way. And so what they've been doing is like Wizards realize they put so much of their time and energy into this enthusiast community. That's that 10%, that vocal minority. And in a way, they've kind of been ignoring this like 90% of players that just play casually at home and they don't do the official tournaments. They don't do professional play. They don't care about the meta because they don't know what the meta is or that they even should care about it. It's the people that every once in a while at, you know, they, they don't go to their local game store. They go to Target or Walmart and they get a couple like magic packs that they can crack with their friends over the weekend. And that's it. It's casual. And that's 90% of their audience. And that's the part of magic that's expanding. And that's the type of people that are latching onto arena because they don't have to be tied into the community and the greater discourse and stuff. And so I just think it's super interesting that we're at a place now where um, more more and more people and like the representative um kind of prototypical magic player in my head is changing and it's not this person that's like a hardcore like i'm gonna make this deck that's gonna destroy everybody but honestly the median magic player like that middle of the road like what's an average magic player is actually somebody more like that will casually pick up a couple packs and play with their friends at their kitchen table that's really where most magic is happening so i'm trying to get myself into a headspace to do more of that going forward that doesn't compute i don't understand like because my entire magic career i'm gonna say career because it's been since i was playing uh, since it's been 24 years like my entire time playing this game has been in tournaments like going to friday night magic before friday night magic decades before friday night magic was a thing uh like it was like going learning to play with my friends and then going to the tournaments at carl's card shop on uh on friday nights like the idea that only 10% of the overall sales that go and players of magic do that ever is baffling to me. Like I can't, that is because the last time I went to a pre-release tournament and I, I looked this up while you were, while you're doing that uh, was torment. And that was on January 26th, 2002. <laughs> Like it's been 19 years since I went to a to a pre-release tournament, and that is that blows my mind. I did think I did a couple of uh, other big tournaments, but in terms of like statewide things, like that was the last time, and that blows my mind just even thinking about it. That I was 19 the last time I did something like that. Like, and that still counts as like one of those 10 percent of people where that seems like so long ago for me that like. Well, of course, everybody else has done that since then. I feel like, man, I'm so out of the loop. And it's like my, my brain just doesn't. Huh. Right. Like we're not we're not normal magic players like anybody who's ever been to an event, anybody who would listen to a podcast or look up an article or be on social media following anybody related to magic. None of those are typical magic players. A typical magic player doesn't engage with any of that. They just grab some packs when they're at a Walmart or a Target and they play them at home. Like that's an average magic player. And so I've been trying Man. to get my head around that and realize how much I should just like let myself be not all the way like that, but more like that. You know what I mean? I do because I'm sitting here thinking, like, I should just play magic sometime. And I'm like, you could just but play. You have three you DCI numbers. Yeah. Or you could just play like, for fun. I, like, you could just get some yeah, packs I mean, and play with your nephew. Like, it doesn't have to be yeah, a I mean, thing. Actually, that would have to be Pokemon cards. Like, that boy won't learn magic. I've tried to get him to play Arena. He's like, but I can play Pokemon cards. I'm like, yes, that's true. We can play the Pokemon game. Which All is right. still fun. It's a lot of fun. It's just those cards are impossible to buy right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it's, it's weird to me. Because Pokemon is something that is only in my mind as being casual as opposed to magic which is basically only competitive and uh, which is the opposite for a lot of people which is why there are cards worth three hundred dollars right now for pokemon uh out of the new set well okay let me give you another stat so the amount of in-person play and um actual organized play is the lowest that it has essentially ever been since the game has started in the last year because of the pandemic, mm -hmm. right? In the last year, it is the best and most successful year of magic that they have ever had as a company. With that, like I heard that and I read that and yeah. I didn't see a breakdown. And I'm actually curious. This is I know the way that I said it, it sounds like I'm being a jerk, but I'm not like I couldn't find the numbers on how much of that was in person, like physical card sales versus how much of that was digital. Yeah. Uh, did you ever sure. find a breakdown of that? Because I'm, I'm legit curious and I couldn't find it. 
No, because they don't really give that. They they talk about just it as a game overall, and it's like the most successful year as a game that they've ever had. Yeah, so I think it, it went is, up like 20% last year from what it did the previous year. Yeah, so a lot of it's probably digital, but it's just it's fascinating to me. So there you it, go. It is crazy, yeah. Yeah, there you guys go. That's kind of your second bonus topic that I didn't mean to build out to a whole topic, but I guess I had more thoughts than I realized. Yeah, but apparently we both were playing it and had thoughts that we yeah. didn't even know we had. Well, okay, I have a couple quick like quick hit geekeries also as actual geekery instead of a second topic. Um, I beat Pokemon Snap and I think I'm done with it. I awesome. think for the the right type of player, you could dig really deep. It could be like a whole game that you spend 40 hours with and do everything in. And it's it's just not interesting enough for me to do that. But I did have fun with my, you know, eight to ten hours in the game and seeing the credits. Right. So I feel good about that. Yeah, I mean, I, my nephew got it and was like, this is pretty fun. And uh, for him to say that means like, yeah, he really liked that one. Yeah, yeah, it was good for what it was. And for the right kind of person, you could dig super deep. Um, and then the other right. thing is, uh, I realized we're getting close to doing our mid-year episode, and I haven't mentioned a couple things. So I got to get them out here so that they're eligible for our like best of the first half of the year episode. So um, Viridian Gate Online is a book series that's a lit RPG, which we've talked about in the past. And right. I accidentally have read like 12 books in the series since the start of the year. So <laughs> it was one where Audible gave me the first couple books for free because they were included with like your Audible membership. And then I was okay. like, oh, I'm kind of hooked on this. And then I bought all the rest of the books in the main series. And then I flipped over and now I'm working through the spinoff series that the guy that he's written and that they've made into audiobooks. So this has been entirely an audiobook series for me but I really like it. It's called Viridian Gate Online. Um, and it's uh, it's like an MMO world that players get digitized into. And people are permanently moving there because it's the end of the world and there's a meteor coming and it's going to destroy all life on Earth. But they've been able to bury these servers down deep underground. And so anybody who is able to digitize themselves and get into this like fantasy RPG MMO before the end of the world can live there forever. Like you're not going to end with the rest of the world. That's the main premise. And it's so interesting. They have these like overmines that they've put in place in the game because they didn't have time to fully develop it all the way before the end of the world. So they had to like hand over parts of the world and the control to these like AIs. And so the AIs right. are kind of in control of anything, everything. They're almost like the gods of the game. Um, and it's like they're in conflict with each other. And so you know it's a game the whole time and the players know it's a game the whole time, but it's real people that have been digitized into it. And like... I just I really like it. I've tried a lot of lit RPG books and I bounced off a lot of them. This is by far my favorite lit RPG series that I've ever read. And yeah, like I said, I'm probably 11 to 12 books deep into the series by now. And I'm going to keep reading more. Hmm. Like, that's really interesting because I've looked for a series like that to really get into. But uh, that may be one that I do. Yeah. Um, like 11 or 12 is, is is a lot of books for you to accidentally read. It's a lot. The main series, I think, is seven, seven books, maybe yeah. eight. And then um, I'm in the spinoffs now. So that's what I've been doing. Right. And then the other thing that I want to give a shout out, because I think some of these are going to come up when we do our mid-year episode, um, our new podcast I've been listening to. I haven't recapped those lately. Right. So there's two from the Fanbyte Network, which is, uh, it's, I mean, general fan stuff, but they do a lot of video game things. Um, and they're kind of like a growing new media outlet. So there's one that's called Channel F, and that's their main video games podcast. I like that one a lot. Okay. I would highly recommend it to anyone who likes games and is looking for more video game podcasts. Again, that's called Channel F. And then the other one that I like a lot is their RPG-specific podcast, and that one's called 99 Potions. So if you're an RPG game player and you want to follow that, uh, 99 Potions is a good one to listen to. And like then, tabletop stuff or no, uh, it's like, like JRPGs and stuff. Okay. Yeah, video game RPGs. Um, and then uh, another one is uh, the Fire Escape cast is good. Mm. It's uh, one of the guys that used to be a giant bomb. And then he's done a bunch of other things in the meantime. And then two other people like from the industry and from other media outlets. So I guess they've all been friends for a long time and they finally got around to making a podcast together. Um, so Fire yeah. Escape cast is pretty good. And the last one I have to give a shout out to is the Adventure Zone Ethersea. So it's yeah, still Ethersea seems really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's still. I super like it. New. I listened to this one. 
but I like it a lot more than graduation. So I'm really excited for this new season of the Adventure Zone. Um, it's too early to know if I love it or not yet, but they kicked it off with playing A Quiet Year, which is uh, a game that lets you establish an RPG setting, or you can use it as like a fully contained story. But they're really using it to kick off this new setting and develop the world. And I've just loved listening to it. So I'm very hopeful about the new Adventure Zone series. I am very interested in this one because this is the first time I'm able to listen along as it's new that I've always been behind on one of the stories that they're telling at some point and unable to catch up. So I'm very excited to when I got a pocket casts notification that the first episode of this season came out, I was like, I'm listening to this today. And so I'm waiting every two weeks now to listen to it because I want to make sure I stay up on this one, even if I get a couple of weeks behind. But, you know, I'm not going to be an entire like hundred episodes behind like I have been all the rest of them with the shows that I've listened to. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. So there you go. There's my quick geekery. Um, I didn't mean to tangent us on magic so long, but it was fun to talk about. Yeah. And in terms of adventure zone, like I'm curious on what your, your, your thoughts are on this, on how the current, the, the, the proposed uh, setting is going to work for you. Cause he wanted it to be kind of like an outer space thing, but underwater where it's going to be uh, in this magical ocean. And I usually don't like underwater stuff, so I'm really hesitant about this one. But I'm curious on what you think about it, like what, how you feel about the setting, just at what we know about it so far. I'm excited because they're doing world building in the way that Friends at the Table does world building. They're, oh, okay. They're world building as a group, and that's why they're playing through the quiet year. So if any of them has an idea that doesn't quite work, or if any of, like, it gets everybody to buy in, it gets everyone to build on each other and say yes to things, and then by the time you actually start your campaign, you have this buy-in from the group, and everyone kind of understands the setting because you all built it together. Um, yeah. That being said, like, the general thrust of what it's going to be was laid out by the DM, right? He's like, we want to do an underwater thing, um, and it's going to happen because, like, the world is having some kind of catastrophe. And that's that's the main idea we're going for. But how we get from, like, the world is okay right now to everybody living under the water, we're going to figure that out together by playing the quiet year. And yeah. I, I'm so excited because they're building the world together that I think it's going to make for a much more interesting world than somebody going off and making it on their own before they start the campaign. Yeah, I'm interested to see because some of the stuff that the other guys have put in uh, that Griffin would have never thought about have been wacky and weird, and I like it. Yeah. Like so the if, Trash Geyser. The if, Trash Geyser is like, let's do this. If you are interested in that or if anyone listening is interested in that world building aspect, like Friends at the Table does this for almost all their settings, and it's so amazing to go back and listen to and just like hear them build the world over a couple episodes even if you don't go and listen to the whole campaign afterwards they almost always kick off a season with a bunch of world building stuff like this yeah so i'm i am not the biggest fan of it because i really want to get into the game and the storytelling and have this stuff generally put behind but i'm giving it a shot because it's the first time i've listened to one like this yeah it should be interesting um that's probably it for this week. You guys can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have great discussions on Slack and Discord. You can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links. And while you're there, make sure to check out all the other content on the network like blogs and video game reviews and our digital magazine on Patreon. I blog at agreenmushroom.com and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm also on the Disney Forever podcast where we watch and react to a different Disney movie every week. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beach. That's Beach with two E's. And I also co-host the Dragon Quest FM podcast, a show about the Square Enix RPG series. We've been Void and Beach with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, y'all. When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the geek to geek Media Network. A community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community. 
all dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like video games, Star Wars, comics, movies, K-pop, Disney Plus, Keanu Reeves, new, or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. Yep, and each other in real time. And we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes, Keanu. 